Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. one thing to add a little bit of pepper to bring out the flavors in a dish but if you add too much everything starts to taste of pepper and I think some of us have got the taste of pepper in our mouths and some of us have got lenses on our eyes and we're not seeing God for who he is we're not seeing ourselves for who we are we're not seeing God's people for who they are we're not seeing the purposes of God we'll come we'll do good and God-given things will go away much unchanged, unmoved, and unformed. And so this morning, I want to read to you some passages from 1 Peter that speak the gospel to us, because as I was reflecting upon this, I felt God say, he wants us to take off those lenses. Some of them, they're pretty, they're pretty heavy and pretty harmful, and he wants us to cast our burdens onto him, because he cares for us. And in their place, and I said it as we were praying before, this might be my way of thinking of it, so forgive me if it sounds a bit daft, but God wants us to put on gospel goggles instead, gospel glasses. So, church, I think it'll probably help almost everybody here to close your eyes, because we get so distracted. I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus, who is both the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is authoritative about who you really are and who you can become. I'm gonna read these scriptures over you. 
It's quite long. I think God will help us. And in 1 Peter, we read these words from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So put away all malice, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. People of God, be formed by the word of God. Be formed according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God, become flesh to bring us this great salvation. And church, can I urge you now, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here we are together, called out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we may proclaim his excellencies. This morning, I urge you, church, would you do something with me? Can we do this together? Can we lift our hands before the Lord? And can we say, Jesus Christ, God my Savior, I give to you all the lenses that have been coloring my encounter with the gospel this morning. All of the weights and indeed the sins that have been encumbering me. I want to run this race. And so, Jesus, I ask you, give me gospel goggles. I just want to see you for who you are. I want to see myself for who you are according to what you have done in me. I want to see this gathering for what it is so that in this space and place and time you may be glorified. God, make us new. And church, let's lift our voices. Let's lift our voices. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, give over to Christ the things that you're not supposed to be holding. Give over to him the things that are holding you back. Give over to him your pains and your hurts and your wrong thinking and wrongness and receive from him his grace afresh. Come on, talk to Jesus this morning. Would you do that? Would you do that? Just talk to Jesus this morning. Talk to Jesus, church. and Give to him what is not supposed to be kept and receive from him that which cannot be taken. Jesus, we worship you this morning. We worship you this morning. God, you are good. 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 Church, this morning, because I feel that we're not going to get anywhere unless we let him form us in the way of the cross. I'm going to invite you to come and partake in the Lord's Supper right now. And, uh, and each and every person here, I know our children haven't gone out just yet. But parents, I know some of our older children, you'll be confident that they know and love Jesus for themselves and they're more than welcome to come with you and receive these things, um, these precious things, if that's the case. But church, we're not going to get anywhere unless we let Jesus form us according to the cross. And so I want you, with every fiber of my being, to allow the Spirit of God, according to the Word, to form you this morning. We're going to be led in song, but don't just go through the motions this morning. 
please invite God to open the eyes of your heart, to enlighten you. And as and when you are ready to do so as we worship, come and take this cup that speaks to us of the body and the blood of Christ Jesus, which was broken for you. Come and take it and go to your seat. And as we're worshiping together and celebrating the cross together, please do take the bread and take the cup and say, Jesus, I need your gospel today. I need to be formed by you today. Jesus, I'm not always seeing you rightly. Open the eyes of my heart, God. Jesus, I'm not always walking in your ways rightly, but you are willing and able to accomplish this in me. So church, can I invite you to do that? Let's be very focused and deliberate. Let's be gospel people this morning. Let's be gospel people this morning. Can't tell you how important this is. Let's be led in worship. And look, can I say, as you're coming to receive these things and take them, if you're not sure this morning that you are formed by the gospel of Jesus, if you're not sure that you know Jesus in this way and you're not sure that truly you're following him as your Lord and your Savior, I'm going to be stood right to the side of this table of remembrance. And I would love to talk with you and pray with you to help you to both understand that and come into the fullness of life with Jesus. So come receive. If you need that prayer, then receive that prayer. Let's worship God together. Just as we were singing that song, I felt like God was encouraging my heart to encourage you. Um, what does it mean that Christ lives in you? That means everything. That means freedom. That means joy. That means peace at all times. And although this song can come across quite sad, it's actually a joyful song. Um, and I just want to encourage you to be to be joyful in the fact that Christ lives in you. Do you know what that means? Christ is in you. That that's incredible in your bones, in your blood, in your heart, in your soul. And we should really rejoice in that because that gives us peace and joy forever. And that is something that sets us apart to be different. And that's something that's offered to every single person that you come into contact with. Christ is in you. And that is... Hallelujah overwhelming there's not even words to describe how good that is i just yeah encourage you to be encouraged jesus we praise you we praise you dear god we praise you that christ you are in us the very hope of glory We praise you, Christ Savior, that we have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I that live, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. And the life that I, that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We praise you, Christ Savior, that the same power that raised you from the grave is at work within us. We praise you, dear Savior, for all of these things and more are true. God, we're asking, we are asking, Lord God, that our lives be humbly surrendered to the truth of your word and the working of your spirit. God, we do not want to gather together and remain unchanged. God, we do not want to to come into your word and remain unmoved. 
We do not want to have the very Spirit of God at work amongst us and to walk away the same as we were before. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would have your way and do your will in your church. God, we do believe that when we pray that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, you respond by indicating and revealing that you will do these things in and through your church. And so, God, we surrender and submit ourselves to your will and your working this morning. Lord Jesus, be glorified. Amen. 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 You're more than welcome to grab a seat. Please do that. Now, my hope is that we would have time this morning to come again to worship and praise God and to allow for him to move among us um, as we do so, as we, we draw to a close. But right now, we're going to spend some time in the Word of God. Um, Forgive us for any confusion this morning as to when the children should go out. It is our normal practice that they go out after the second song. Um, Forgive me, I think I added a little bit of confusion there um, when I got up to speak uh, to us as a church. Just to say, we do have that program um, for our primary age kids. um, And if you've not yet accessed that, um, then do please... I indicate somehow. We'll find, we'll find a way to get it out there. But we do also have our family room, which is down in the basement, accessed through the rear of the church there. And, um, and if you do have young children, you need a bit of space and a place to make a bit of noise, um, then you're more than welcome to, to head down there. You can see and hear everything um, as you are welcome to stay up here. Um, today, and for a number of uh, weeks now, all the way really until we come through to Advent, Oh, goodness. You know what that means, don't you? When Advent comes, it means something else is coming, doesn't it? Yeah. Pigs in blankets and other such things. Um, Jesus is coming. Does anybody know that? Do you know that Jesus did come? Because he's as good as his word. And do you know that he said he's going to come again? And because he's as good as his word, that means he is going to come again. I love Advent. It reminds me that Jesus is coming again. Um, But all the way up until we get to Advent at the start of December, we're going to be talking about what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of heaven. And we're going to be talking about that this morning, um, spending a bit of time in in Hebrews um, and elsewhere, um, and we're going to unpack it in various ways as we go along. But before we begin this morning, we're going to talk about this this morning, what does it mean to be a citizen so it's a, a bit of a broad brushstroke kind of thing, a bit of an overview this morning. We're going to unpack lots of aspects and dynamics as we go along. Um, but before we get there, I want to tell you a story this morning, because I like good stories. Anybody like a good story? I love a good story. And this story I came across is the story of a gentleman named Michael Packard. And he was a lobster diver off the coast of Massachusetts. I seem to have a thing at the moment for lobsters off the New England coast. Um, I... Okay, uh, not, not many of you know what I'm talking about. Last Sunday evening, our scattered Sunday celebration, we were off the New England coast with lobster fishermen. Um, and here we are again with lobster divers. I don't know what's going on. Um, maybe I've got a craving for lobster. I'm not sure. Uh, but either way, um, Michael Packard, there he is. And diving off the coast of Massachusetts, he's going to have a very close encounter. You see, there he was with his fishing partner, Josiah Mayo. Sounds like somebody out of Moby Dick, doesn't it? Um, Josiah Mayo. And they'd set out early one morning just off the coast of Provincetown, hoping for a good catch. But they had a disappointing first haul. So Packard tried again. 
diving to the bottom of Herring Beach Cove when he was suddenly struck a huge blow from behind. In a moment, an instant, everything went black. Everything. In fact, what had happened was he was inside the mouth of a humpback whale. This doesn't happen every day, does it? 30 to 40 seconds, I imagine it felt quite a bit longer. He was trapped inside this whale's mouth, feeling the muscles contracting, as I guess this whale is like, what on earth is it that I've just put inside my mouth? Whales obviously have some similarities with toddlers. They'll just put anything in. I kind of sense the world through their mouth. They're constricting and contracting around this poor diver. And he's wondering, his life flashing before his eyes, I imagine. How is this story going to end? But then the whale started to shake to and fro, apparently. And Packard found himself surging to the surface. Mayo, his partner, who had seen Packard's air bubble stream vanish, he was scanning the waters for his buddy, suddenly saw Packard flying through the air on a burst of white water. It seems cinematic, doesn't it? This is just a glorious moment. And, and out, he's been spat out by the whale. And thankfully, he suffered only minor injuries in the process. Scientists have offered the explanation that the whale would have ingested the diver, not by choice, but by accident. It's a one in a trillion chance that while he was gulp feeding, that sounds a bit like me, actually. <laughs> I think that's my technique as well. I don't know. Uh, while he was gulp feeding, um, they opened their mouth so big, and in he went, and bleh, out he came again. And this was obviously reported fairly widely in the news media locally. They didn't go on to say whether after that he decided he should take up the word of God and go to Nineveh um, for the rest of his life. Boom. Um, that's a pretty cool story, isn't it? Pretty cool story. And it got me, you know, wondering, and, and I don't know whether you know the story of Jonah, but in the Bible there's a story just like that that most modern people think just sounds too daft to be true. But, well, there you go. It can be true. And, um, and, and, you know, the story of Jonah, it's not just about the fact that he was kind of, you know, out diving for fish, got swallowed by a whale and, you know, got spat out again. He was trying to go in one direction in life, and then God turned his direction around. And the, the book, if you read it, it's really helpful. It says that there's all this kind of just... Uh, traveling language he goes down to the harbor and then he went down into the boat and when they chucked him off he went down into the waters and down he goes and down into the belly of the whale and down 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 and then everything changes and shifts gets spat out by a whale it got me wondering what would it take for the trajectory and i don't mean when he was like scooting out of the water on a, like a nice parabola but i mean just the direction of your life or my life what would it take for it to actually change actually really truly change from perhaps running from god his purposes in a world in need whether or not via a whale's mouth to serving god's purposes and encountering him in that service too. You know, that lobster diver, Michael, he described it as being struck by a huge blow from behind. Everybody, would you strike someone in front of you? No, 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 don't do that. Um, I have to say it very quickly because some of you, you're there, aren't you? Yep, I'm with you. Come on, Pastor Greg, tell me more. Um, no, struck by a huge blow from behind. There's not really a one of us 
who hasn't been struck by a pretty huge blow from behind these past months stretching into years. Uh, you know, not a humpback whale, <laughs> but a pandemic that's consumed lives and livelihoods, devoured hopes and dreams, shattered certainties, peace of mind. I say certainties, but maybe they weren't quite so certain as we thought that they really were. Not so sure after all. Struck by a huge blow from behind, but my conviction is this. Most, if not all, people want things largely just to go back to normal. No changes made, no lessons really learned, no real fundamental difference in the heart of humanity. Maybe, you know, work from home a couple of days a week or, you know, change a couple of things, tweak things around the edges. But tweaking things around the edges isn't really anything to do with change, is it? Not really. Not when it comes to matters of our heart, of who we really are. When so much isn't sure, I find it unspeakably sad that the one thing which is sure for most folks is that nothing much changes. There are better certainties in life. There are things which are sure, truly, fundamentally sure, that are better than that. We're going to consider a way of understanding over the coming weeks which is sure and is good. As sure, in fact, as the God who has declared it. God would want us to understand that to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus, it isn't firstly or perhaps even primarily about the things that we do or the places that we go, or the words that we say, it's not so externalized, and it can't be tweaked around the edges so easily. Actually, discipleship, really, really understanding who God is and following him faithfully, discipleship is primarily about who we are. Who are you? Who we are. And in fact, about who God has made us to be through Jesus' death and resurrection. You've heard me say this, I'm sure, numerous times before, uh, but we each need to understand that we are human beings before we get to be humans doing. There's too many of us within a culture and a society that prizes product, and we think that we are what we do, or we think we are what we produce. How many of us, when somebody asks about us, one of the very primary things that we say about who we are is what we do for a living. It, it's just there, isn't it? It's like number one. Tell me about yourself. Well, I am a, or I do, or I work for, or whatever it is. And I'm sure for some of you, it's because you deeply and personally love your employer. Amen, good. Everyone else laughs, Steve. I don't know. It's just, it's you and me. I don't know. Um, I love my employer. It's quite easy. <laughs> um, we define ourselves by the things that we do all too often, not really paying much attention to who we are. A human being before a human doing. Identity informs and it makes glad and it makes fruitful our activity. So the big question I suppose today when we're thinking about what does it mean to be a citizen is, who are you? Who are you? 
You know, I read earlier in our gathering from First Peter, and do you know, I, I think, you know, can I give you some homework? Would you all go and read First Peter? I know it's not where we are in our Moravian readings at the moment. We're in James, um, and I hope you're enjoying that. But you, you've got time for First Peter as well. It won't take long. Get yourself a slice of cake and a cup of tea and uh, have at it. Enjoy yourself. But in First Peter, um, it, it tells us um, that according to God's great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's not going to pass away. So much of our doing kind of is, isn't it? Um, some things will remain, and I'm not saying that you don't produce excellent things with your life, but an awful lot, it's time-limited. Um, but, but, but the inheritance that God has, has born us again to, this resurrection, is imperishable. Uh, the, the passage went on to say that we are a chosen people because of that mercy. Once we had no mercy, you know what that means? It means you got what you deserved all the time. Whoa. And you were always going to get what you deserved. And at the end of your days, you were absolutely going to get what you deserved. And I think if we're honest, we know that's not good news. But now we've received mercy. Once we weren't a people, now we are a people. You know, God is speaking good things about who we are. You know, our chosen people. It's not the Bible's not saying you are people. That's reasonably obvious. You might want to look at the person next to you and just double check that they are a human being, a person of some form. Um, I think we're yet yeah, pretty safe, more or less. Um, it's not saying you're people. That would just be obvious and meaningless. It's saying you are a people. It's saying you are a clearly defined group of people with characteristics. You come from somewhere. You're part of something. You're going somewhere. This is what biblically it means to be a people. There's a shared identity. There's more than one of us, quite obviously. Otherwise, the Bible would be like, you are a chosen person. If it was just you know, one person, then the Bible would probably have your name in at the start of it. It'd be like, you know, Frank, here is the word of God to you. You're it. Everyone else, you know. Um, but no, it is all of us. We are a people. There's a group of us. There's, but not just in terms of number, but in terms of commonality. You know, there's a reason for seeing we individuals as community, even as one body. And one of the ways that the Bible helps us to understand how the people of God are formed together and how we live out our identity in the world is to describe us as citizens, as a citizenry. We are citizens, the Bible says, of heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so we want to understand our, not only our peoplehood, but then our personhood um, in that context. You know, if we don't get a sense of what it is to be a person of the kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom, to be people of heaven, then we can't really understand who we are and what we're supposed to be doing in this world anyway. I'm just going to take a moment or two to compare and contrast, perhaps, some of the understandings of citizenship. Um, and I'm, I'm indebted to Ian, who did all the work here and sent it to me. So thanks, Ian. Um, but in the Bible, lots of the New Testament writers, their principal understanding of citizenship, because it was the, it was the superior, the, the victorious citizenship, was that of Roman citizenship. And Roman citizenship was a very particular thing for a very particular people. Um, if you asked anyone else, and they would say, yeah, they really are a peculiar people. Um, but you, you were either in or you were out. And if you were out, you were really out. 
and made to know it. Um, there were a few ways of gaining Roman citizenship. You could be born a citizen, fairly obviously. Um, Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, was born a citizen in the Roman city of Tarsus. Acts 22 and verse 28 tells us that. Um, the centurion who arrested Paul in Jerusalem, in the same passage, we're told he bought his citizenship for a great price. So you could be born a citizen or you could buy it for a great price. We are incredibly blessed to be a, 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 a multinational church. And I know some of you, this like, that's like your life verse, isn't it? You kind of had to buy British citizenship at a great price. And um, yes, yeah, some of you are nodding. And, you know, I, I'm blessed to be married to a Canadian. I'm sorry if you're not married to a Canadian. Um, I, I, you know, I feel for you. Um, I, I am blessed to be married to a Canadian. Um, she's not yet a British citizen. Um, she, no, I want to say she's legally here. I just want to point that out. Um, but uh, but we, we, we kind of go along. All, you have to do all the visas and stuff. And then, you know, the spousal track, which, you know, is not as fast and exciting. There's no go-karts. Uh, but you have to go along these routes. And, and uh, if you've had to go along these kinds of things, you know that everything costs money, doesn't it? Can I get an amen? Not an amen. Just uh, help me, Lord. You know, uh, Hosanna. That means Lord save us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and they could do it back then, just the same as you know, you can buy it now. Um, but there were there were other routes. Citizenship could be bestowed upon a person for service to the emperor, what was considered service emperor. For instance, service in the army, um, if you survived, and that was not a given, um, entitled you to uh, become a Roman citizen. Even auxiliaries after twenty-five years service could be granted citizenship. So the chance to become a Roman citizen, you know, it was one of the primary drivers for people um, signing up for the army um, and doing that. All these things made it quite a limited membership. In fact, one of the reasons that, that, that it, the whole kind of Roman system kind of teetered on the brink a lot was there were very few people at the top and a lot of people at the bottom. And a lot of people at the bottom weren't so keen on the fact that there were a few people at the top lording it over them. Contrast that with what it meant, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. John chapter 3 teaches us at length that we have to be born again, or, or the language is sometimes to be born from on high in order to gain citizenship. Um, the route of entry is not by achievement, because if you think about a baby, they don't really achieve much, do they, to enter into a family? Pretty much the only thing that they do is scream as they come in. It's like, goodness, what have you done to me? Um, and, and there you go. And, and it's that massive contrast of this language of being born into our citizenship by means of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we don't purchase citizenship, but we are purchased. That turns it a bit on its head, doesn't it? For Jesus is the only one who could pay the price for anybody's citizenship at the kingdom of heaven. Nothing we can do, nothing we have, nothing we could spend or, or give could ever get us in. But 1 Corinthians 6 tells us he's done it all. That was a great place for a hallelujah. Yeah. He's done it all. We cannot earn our citizenship. It is bestowed upon us. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds like you're before the queen and she's got a sword and she's like, arise, uh, somebody or other bestowed upon you. Maybe we should have a formal ceremony for everybody. I think it'd help us to get it a little bit. We'd have to dress up in ermine or something. Are you, are you going with me on this? 
you're not with me at all, are you? You're like, just stop it and move on, Pastor Greg. Okay, I will. Here's good news. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That seal is a guarantee of, your, of the ownership of Christ upon your life and that place and sense of belonging. Ephesians 1.13 makes that absolutely and wondrously plain to us all. As well as being born, not to contrast, but to complement. We are adopted in the family of God. Yes, born, but also chosen from somewhere else to come in. Both of these things, Romans 8.15 makes plain, are complementary. Citizenship is an incredible, grace-filled, full gift to you and to me. I said Advent is coming, and you know Christmas is coming, but it really doesn't matter what you get at Christmas. You're never going to get anything as good as this. You're never, ever going to get anything as good as this. I don't know quite why you all look like you've been slapped by a humpback whale on your face, but um, you're never going to get anything as good as the freely given gift of God's entry into citizenship of heaven. I say it's freely given, but don't misunderstand. It doesn't come without cost. And I think oftentimes we, we don't really help one another to understand the price that was paid. It's freely given, but it, it wasn't freely made. It cost Jesus everything to give you the free gift of citizenship. As the weeks unfold, we're going to understand that, 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 that Jesus died so that we might live. But actually, what that means is that in our living, we then go on to die to self so that the life of Christ might be made more fully known in our own being and in our own doing within this world. There is a cost for the Christian. It's what we sang before. It's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. The means of entry, the point of entry is free. Changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. It changes everything fundamentally. I, I mentioned the fact that my wife is Canadian. Um, and a and, and little known fact, my wife, she, she doesn't yet have British citizenship. We'll probably do it at some point. Um, but but that will mean that she's collecting citizenships. My wife has an actual collection. Um, she not only has Canadian citizenship, but she has American citizenship. And then when we add British to it, I think, you know, I think we'll probably settle for that. Unless anyone can recommend some other citizenships. I imagine some of you might suggest Nigerian or Filipino citizenship. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> um, we'll take whatever's great. Um, but she is stacking them up. And um, I, I, we tried to get rid of American citizenship. I'm very sorry, Robin. It's not anything against your great glorious country. Um, but they make us file taxes even though she's never lived there or worked there a day of her life. And, uh, and that, that's not much fun at all. That's not mu no, n no fun at all. Um, we, we were ready to get rid of it until they told us it would cost about $1,500 to stop being an American. I don't know, how did they get away with that? <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. Um, and then we were, we were all ready to kind of go down that route, but we were like, oh, you know, we'll just have to put up with it. And then the American government said, right, we're going to send stimulus checks to every American. And Erin's like, I'm an American. I'm an American. Oh, say, can you know? Um, <laughs> we're not quite that mercenary. But she's kind of stacking them up, all of these citizenships, um, which is just how it is. It's just a, a quirks of, you know, 
birth and whatever. Um, when you come into citizenship of heaven, you can't do that. It's a one-for-one one deal. You know, when you get your kind of passport as a citizen of heaven and you open it up and it's like, his majesty, the king of all glory, commands the receiver of this to you know, give to the bearer of this passport every, every uh, courtesy of the, of the country. And you're, you're like, well, I'm a citizen of heaven. You know, when you get that, you give up all other citizenships. You can't hold more than one citizenship, spiritually speaking. Colossians 1 and verse 13, Paul makes plain to us there. He says, he has, as God has, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you, do you feel those words? They're moving words, aren't they? And they're deliberately moving words because they're moving words in the original languages as it was written transferred, delivered. These things are moving. It's not like there you are in the domain of darkness. Let me fling a heavenly passport at you and leave you there. It doesn't happen like that. You go from one to the other. And I think far too few of we citizens, because we are exactly that if we are in Christ, still think that our citizenship is perhaps, well, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, an earthly kind of human, temporal citizenship for the here and now. And we'll really enter into our heavenly citizenship when, you know, Jesus comes again. Not so. Can't be so. The Bible forbids it. And the Bible describes exactly how you have been transferred. Over the summer, it seemed like every famous player on earth got transferred into Paris Saint-Germain, didn't they? Uh, and they went for the love of the game, obviously, and to conquer the finest football league in Europe. Um, and they all went there, didn't they? Um, and they're having a whale of a time, I'm sure. Um, can you imagine if Messi was like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite the bullet finally. I'm going to get transferred into Paris Saint-Germain. I'm going to play there. But, but they will fully understand that until then, I've really been a one-guy a one club, and I still really love Barcelona. So maybe every third or fourth week, I'll go play for Barca instead. Well, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, you'll, you'll still pay me my 350 million pounds a week, won't you? Or whatever it is. It's something like that, isn't it? Um, and it's like... it's. It would be nonsensical, wouldn't it? What happens if the two teams actually met one another on the pitch? He'd be the referee. <laughs> they don't pay referees enough for him to want that. Uh, he'd be trying to fight against himself. I think we might have stumbled on something there. Christians, we try to hold dual citizenship, and then we wonder why we're fighting against ourselves on the inside. We wonder why, you know, we, we lose in the things of the kingdom and we lose in the things of the world. Because your citizenship is singular. God's moved you. He's transferred you. But you're still trying to live in the domain of darkness according to his will, uh, will and his ways. It can't be done. Whose are you? Who are you? We've been moved, transferred. 
We've been moved from stateless wanderings of desperation, decay, and death, to adoption into his family, to inheritance, to love, to meaning, to purpose, to everlasting life. I think I want to become a Christian. Does anybody want to become a Christian this morning? Yeah? <laughs> Jesus, save me. I love this stuff. I don't want to be in darkness. I want to be in marvelous light. It's not even ordinary light. This is really good stuff. We've been moved. Time doesn't permit us really to go much further this morning. Like I've said, we're going to unpack many more of the aspects of the meaning and the purpose for our possessions and our efforts, our our bodies even, in this life. Uh, We're going to consider how we speak and act as ambassadors of the kingdom, how the Holy Spirit empowers the citizens of heaven as he causes the kingdom of heaven to be manifest in the here and now. But right now, as, as we're kind of perhaps bringing things in, I want us to understand there are perhaps two reasons or two manners in which we can live out our citizenship faithfully, two motivations or impulses. One is we can seek to live as a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of God, because it is, hands down, without any doubt, the very best and indeed the only lasting way to enjoy all that it means to be human, to flourish and to come alive. There was an early church father called Oregon, and he said this. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. That's really interesting, isn't it? Thanks, John. I thought it was really interesting. It's absolutely fascinating that humanity can and should come fully alive, that every man, woman, and child should come fully alive in Christ. And that actually is the very glory of God revealed in the world. I think that's really, really good. You can be miserable if you want. There's nothing wrong at all with wanting to flourish as a human being. There's nothing wrong with it at all to wanting to to put your skills and abilities into work, to create, to develop, to steward. Uh, There's nothing wrong at all with wanting to be healthy uh, and to enjoy all of these things that are part of God's creation. Right at the beginning, Genesis 1 and verse 28, he tells the, the people he's made to be fruitful and to multiply. And all these things are possible in and through Jesus. These things are only fully possible for the citizens of heaven. We live according to the domain of darkness, as a way of talking about the world and of the evil forces at work within the world, and you're going to be frustrated. Your best efforts will come to naught. To live as a citizen of the kingdom of God is to return again to God's plan for human flourishing, and it is good. Enjoy it. Run with it. See what you can do. Be all that God has made you to be and nothing that he hasn't. But there's another instinct and impulse, and this is the one I want to perhaps drive into a bit because I think this is a bit more tricky, and we might not tend to think about it much. The other reason to seek to live out the identity and the values of what it is to be a citizen of heaven is because we are not our own. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 19 and 20 say, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You are not your own. Oh, thank goodness. What a relief. What a relief. I am not the master of my own universe. My sense of being, my identity is not dependent on how clever I am or capable I am or whether I'm having a good day or got out of bed the wrong side. The worth of my life, its meaning and purpose doesn't depend upon my lesser lights but upon the the great father of lights. I am not my own. What a blessed relief. Far too many people live as though they belong to themselves. And everything then depends upon them. See people walking around like this. It's because they've got the weight of their own expectations upon themselves. You weary yourself by acting as though you're the Lord of your life. You're not. You don't belong to you. You belong to someone better. Who will love you better than you could ever love yourself. Who knows you better than you know yourself. You are not your own. Entering into the kingdom of God and really being a citizen of God enables us to live free from self-salvation projects doomed to failure. And don't say you don't because you have done. Maybe God's helped you with that and you've put that behind you. Praise Jesus. I hope you have. Stop trying to save yourself. It sets us free from trying to live our best lives now because we can't. Jesus hasn't come again. So stop trying to fashion something now and get frustrated when it doesn't seem all perfect. It ain't going to be perfect till he comes again. If you think you can live your best life now, you've got a very poor impression of heaven. It really sucks. (laughs) I'll go to my heaven if you don't mind. It sets us free from worshipping the idol of the self to worship the only one who is worthy of worship. You see, uh, when we understand our citizenship in terms of the fact that we are not the center of our existence, nor are we in charge of it at all, nor is our life and our being and our meaning about us, it actually reorients everything and, and shows us what is as it really is. There's an old word we used to use about magnifying Jesus. And I grew up in church, so I used to always wonder about this. I was like, how do we magnify Jesus? Has the church somewhere that I don't know about got a really big magnifying glass? And somehow, like on Easter or something, we swing it into place. And it's like, look at God. He is so big. And then I used to think, does our praise make God bigger? Because I was young, but I knew theologically that didn't seem quite right. What it, it is about perspectives, and it is about entering into realities when you magnify God by, by understanding, declaring, and living as though he is in charge, and the big one, and the best one, and the good one, and we're not, but he's inviting us in, inviting us in, inviting us in, then everything starts to look normal, actually. It's not a distortion. Magnifying God as a citizen who understands that you're not the king puts things back in their right order. We went to Wookie Hole Caves not long ago with the kids. Uh, have you ever been there? 
It's like this big subterranean cave kind of thing. And I went when I was a kid, and in my mind, I just remember caves. That was pretty much it. That was good. I really enjoy caves. Um, but now, oh my goodness, they've gone to town. Now there's a valley of dinosaurs. And then there's, also, there's, uh, there's an arcade, you know, whatever. They're just dragging Judah through it. It's like, ignore all the flashing lights. Um, but then, because of COVID and everything, you had to kind of go around the houses to get to the loo. I'm, I am going to tell you a story about going to the toilet. Sorry about that. Um, but as you went through, it took you through one of those old-school halls of mirrors. Have you ever been in one of these things? Do you remember them from old-school fairgrounds? Some of you come from other countries, and you're like, I, you are speaking a foreign language to me, Pastor Greg. And some of you, you're, I don't know, old? No, young. Um, that one. Um, uh, halls of mirrors, what there are, these kind of weird mirrors that are like concave or wibbly-wobbly or whatever. Anybody. It's like three, four people. And, and you kind of look at yourself, and it distorts you. And, and you look either kind of like really long and thin, but in a slightly weird way, or really the other thing, and quite extremely so, or, you know, wibbly-wobbly. And we're going through, and Judah's like, this is brilliant, Dad, let's go again. Uh, you know, and the kids are like, I need the loo again. Um, no, no, you don't. And, uh, uh, but I'm going through, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm like, oh, honestly, I think that's probably what I do look like. I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. The reason why we spent so much time at the beginning of our gathering talking about gospel goggles, for want of a better word, is because I'm not convinced there's many people in this room this morning that see themselves rightly. I'm not. And I don't lay that on you as an accusation. I lay it out there as my deepest pastoral aspiration for you, that you would see yourself rightly. And the only way to do that is to understand that a citizen magnifies the king. You're not your own. And it's good. It's really, really good. We're going to come and worship God as we close this morning. But can I invite you? Uh, don't start moving. I know you sat down for a long time. Sorry about that. You, you can move. Thank you. Thank you. Can I invite you maybe to close your eyes and bow your heads if that's okay? So this morning as we were preparing to gather, I, I really wanted to make some space just to rest. Does anybody need a rest this morning? Yeah. I think, I think probably a few of us, quite a lot of us need a rest. And whether you feel it in your circumstances or your body, can I say every one of us needs a rest in our minds and our spirits? We need to rest ourselves in Jesus. And so I'm just going to be quiet for a moment. And before we come to actually sing, just the music's going to play for a little while. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, you've received that citizenship as the free gift of the King of Heaven. It cost Him everything, and He gives it to you freely. It means that you have been moved, transferred. You may not, you cannot still live according to the ways of darkness. 
Stop fighting yourself on the field of your life. Your citizenship means that you are made to flourish according to God's original plan. And he loves it when you have a go. He loves it when you have a go with great intention and great heart and still fall flat on your face because he loves your courage. And as a good father, he picks you up and wants you to have another go. Your citizenship means that you are not your own. Stop living according to self-salvation projects. Stop making an idol of yourself in your life. Stop distorting everything. Magnify your king. Rest in him for a minute. Would you do that? Don't rush. citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The king would say to you this morning, as you go from this place, there are things that you need to say to him that you've not said in some time. And there are other things that you need to stop saying to yourself. invites you to start doing the things of his kingdom and to stop doing some, maybe many of the other things you've been doing. I'm going to make a declaration as we close that Jesus is our king and no other. You come and join in as you're ready. Take as long as you need. If you need to rest with your king for a bit longer, if you need him to reorient your life, then you do that. As you're ready, we're going to raise up our praises. And we're, de- we're going to declare what kingdom we belong to, who's in charge, the lover of our souls. Praise God. Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. And uh, we know 
uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.